is for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. And the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or conditions. For more, the views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of those and should not be interpreted to reflect official policy or position of any entity aside from possibly cash back more hospital and affiliate outreach programs. If indeed there are any, in fact, there are none. Pretty much, we are responsible if you're wrong. You should always do your own homework and let's know the world. Welcome back to the Curbsiders. Well, hello, Matt. How are you doing? I'm okay. Yeah. I mean, Paul's kids? not here, so... Well, yeah. How are that. his kids? But Carolyn Chan is here. Hi, oh, Carolyn. Hey, how are you guys? Well, hi. Carolyn, this is your... Not your first time helping out with the show, but your first time on air, so... Uh, I didn't really prepare you for this, but why don't you give some sort of one-liner about yourself? Yeah, so I am Carolyn. I'm a 28-year-old female, and my last year of my internal medicine residency at University Hospitals in Cleveland. Uh, so in my spare time, I love to go to shows, like any sort of live theater shows, like storytelling, comedy. Um, but also, you're, I'm always like surprised at the weird shows you can find in town, even out of Cleveland. So last week, a couple weeks ago, actually, I went to this show that was cabaret slash magic slash burlesque slash drag show and it was incredible Mm. Uh, sounds incredible yeah Yeah, so plug for local theater says your skills include improv comedy yes i i do i have an improv troupe that i perform without in cleveland called asking for a friend oh cool yeah we read our like middle school journals out loud and that's our suggestion (laughs) so uh, it's really fun and like terrifying at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So you just, you did it. You decided we're not going to go with audience suggestions. We're just going to embarrass ourselves by reading our middle school journals. Pretty much. We let them choose a journal. So all four of us each kept a journal. So we like have an audience vote and then they pick a page and then we're committed. That's it. We're all in. No skipping. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I'm sorry that I'm not living in Cleveland to come check that out. All right. Well, we should probably set up the show because uh, we right. we had such a wonderful guest tonight. Uh, this was Dr. Glockenflecken, which you might have heard of him on Twitter because he is a world-renowned anonymous ophthalmologist on Twitter. Identist. Identist. And uh, when he's not when he's not treating eyeballs. At his real-life private practice job, he is writing funny things on the internet. So Dr. Glockenflecken is a regular contributor and editor for Gomer Blog, and his writing has been featured on Kevin MD, Doximity, The Ophthalmologist, and PubMed, which was by mistake. He is most famous for telling people how to properly use an eyedrop bottle, and you can follow him on Twitter at Dr. Glockenflecken, I'll spell it out for you, Dr. D-R-G-L-A-U-C-O-M-F-L-E-C-K-E-N, or I could just put a link in the show notes, which I will, and you can find his writing on Gomer blog. His charity is First Descents, which is a charity for young people suffering from cancer, and the charity sponsors week-long outdoor events for young people with cancer. So you should check that out at firstdescents.org and you can make a donation if you see fit. 
And uh, special thanks to Nora Toronto, who is acting as a producer on this show and helped with the show notes and the other pre and post production. Thank you, Nora. Excellent. And Matt, I don't know about you, but I had a ball. And this is a very special episode of The Curbsiders because we have with us tonight Dr. Glockenflecken, who is world famous on Twitter and also for his writing on Gomer blog. And we're so excited to have him here. That's right. And I found out tonight that he's not Rand Paul. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Dr. G, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be here. I just, I just want to say that was a great pronunciation of Glockenflecken. That was fantastic. <laughs> uh, I'm going to retire right now. Stuart, if you could finish the interview. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm good to go. I'd like to ask you our first question. Dr. G, everyone wants to know, how would you describe yourself in a one-liner? Well, um, I'd say I'm a 32-year-old comedy writer, uh, masquerading around as a comprehensive ophthalmologist. Um, I have borderline hyperlipidemia. <laughs> Excellent. Um, controlled with diet and exercise currently. Mm, I've got some Zocor for you. Oh, do you? Am I, am mm. I at that point yet? I'm, I'm hoping to avoid it, but I think I'm getting there. That's really, that really just about sums up who I am as a one-liner. So I have a question for you, Dr. G. Um, what is the best medical advice you've ever received as a learner? Oh, um, I'd say don't interrupt the nurses during sign out. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very Hands true. down, <laughs> the best advice I received as a learner. Definitely. Excellent. So Dr. G, is there any book that you think that every physician should read? Well, I'm I'm a little bit biased because I I you know write for Gomer Blog, um, so I'm going to have to say House of God, which I've read multiple times, and excellent, get something different out of it every single time. I think we've asked this before to other guests, but did you have a favorite rule from the House of God? Oh gosh, you're putting me on the spot. Um, I think mine is probably if you don't want to find a fever, don't check for a fever. I can't oh, believe no, he yeah, didn't yeah. say okay. rule number one, gomers don't die. Because well, he writes for <laughs> Gomer Blog. Die. That's a, yeah. yeah. I like the, um, uh, you know, there's no body cavity you can't reach <laughs> with, that, with a, with a um, 14, gauge. Uh, 14 gauge and a good strong arm or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Since, since you are a surgeon, sir, I, f- I figured, you know, that, that's a good one for you. That is a l- much larger uh, needle than anything that I've used in a long time. Okay. <laughs> so you're not using 14-gauge needles on the eyes? Is that what you're saying? That's no, yeah. But you can reach any part of the eye with a 30-gauge needle. <laughs> okay. That's at least a couple inches long. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Ouch. And probably... That just feels worse. Like <laughs> You can probably reach some parts of the brain, too, with uh, a several-inch-long needle from the eye. Um, how about an app that you could recommend to the audience? I mean, this, can I say Twitter? Because that's by far the app that I'm on the most, pretty much constantly. Yeah. I mean, as, are, as a resident. Are you ever off of that app? Well, as a resident, I used, I used Browsing. I don't know if you, okay. it, this is like. Um, the journal, uh, right? 
Yeah, it's like a, a, a bookshelf that you can keep journals in. Um, and it was just really helpful for being able to quickly reference any articles. I'm a private practice attending now, so I only read throwaway journals um, <laughs> that are heavily sponsored by industry. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, <laughs> so that app hasn't really been as helpful anymore. And I stick with Twitter and don't read anything more than like 280 characters. Okay. At a time. <laughs> That's very honest of you. I appreciate the, I appreciate mm-hmm. the honesty. Carolyn, what do you think? Should we move on to the case now? Yeah, let's go for it. So today from Cashlock Memorial, we have Miss M. So she is a 38-year-old African-American female with no significant past medical history. So she's coming to your office today because she's having this unilateral red eye uh, that she's been having for about a week. So over the course of the week, she's kind of developed this photophobia, and now she's having this like mild burning sensation in her right eye. She does wear contacts intermittently and confesses to you that occasionally she does indeed fall asleep in them. Since her red eye symptoms started, she has stopped wearing her contacts as they seem to make her symptoms worse. So she's tried all the over-counter like visine, red eye drops, but nothing that she tried seemed to help at all. She also states that she's been having some of this like watery discharge coming from that same eye, but states that she hasn't noticed like any purulence or any pus sort of coming out of it. So Dr. G is sort of like, based on just her history alone, uh, do you think she would warrant an urgent evaluation by an ophthalmologist? Yeah, are you you guys trying to trigger me? Is that <laughs> is that what you're doing? Sleeping in contact lenses, visine. You didn't. I'm sure she also got an eyeball tattoo a couple of weeks ago. How did you know? <laughs> yeah, is that coming up later? Did I, did I ruin it? Part two. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, to answer your question, she should be seen by an. I'd say within like 48 hours. You know. Um, just by history alone, you know, this is, you know, nine times out of 10 going to be a corneal ulcer, uh, poor contact lens hygiene, uh, you know, pretty, pretty common, uh, occurrence in our, in our clinic. Um, and, um, I also want to say that real quick before we go further, in general, the quality of the referrals that I get from primary care are excellent. And it's, it's so different going from residency um, where you just, you just basically you'll see anybody that has an eye, you know, <laughs> um, out in the, out in private practice, you know, you're, I, I'm constantly kind of getting referrals from, you know, primary docs, emergency docs, you know, everybody, you know, nearby and, you know, people are good people. I, I'm surprised how much people actually know about ophthalmology sometimes. And so, um, this is, uh, in this case here, this is a patient that, Within two days, you should be able to get into an ophthalmologist. Yeah, I I uh, I made this mistake with contacts when I was back in college, and I have been out of contacts now for however many years ago that was. Yeah, it's it's you know I'd say most people that that get an ulcer like this um, from poor hygiene do end up back in contacts, and maybe fifty percent of the time they do get another ulcer. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> You know, you just hmm. kind of harp on these, on people that, you yeah, know, about, about the, you know, you know, not sleeping in them, not showering in them, uh, you know, washing, cleaning them appropriately, all that stuff. It's just, you, people just got to keep hearing it and people who are responsible <laughs> <laughs> that, can hand, that can handle monthlies. 
That's fine. Those are good options. Yeah. I love the uh, <laughs> the facial features when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> the audience the audience can imagine that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> who, I, who I'm referring to in particular here. Yep. Okay, Carolyn, uh, where where are we going next with this case here? Yeah, I, I know you said that there are like words in that case that triggered you. So do you mind kind of talking through about like what what symptoms in particular like made you worried where she yeah. needs to be seen like more urgently rather than in like a week or two weeks? Yeah, so with with any eye problem, vision and pain are your best indicators uh, for urgency, uh, you know, especially with uh, issues that involve the ocular surface, the cornea, the conjunctiva. Um, if a patient comes to you and says, you know, this has been getting worse over the past week and now I can't see my hand in front of my face. You know, I'm worried about that patient, obviously. If they're in so much pain, they're getting nauseous, they're vomiting, that's a major concern. I'm trying to see those patients as soon as I can. Um, and so within a day, uh, you know, certainly if this patient came, you know, to you, on a weekday, you know, the, you really should be able to get them in to see an eye doctor within a day. You know, it's, uh, you know, they obviously are a high risk for an ulcer, which can be pretty devastating, um, depending on what type of, of pathogen you're dealing with. It's the infection risk that really makes me concerned and the, the history of poor hygiene right, that makes me like, uh, let's, let's get this patient in to see somebody. So say, say I am seeing this patient in my clinic and yep. maybe my ophthalmoscope is totally broken. Okay. Absolutely broken. I can't find the batteries. There are no batteries in clinic. So can you kind of, uh, yeah. yeah, I, if I had one, I would totally be able to wield its would. power mightily. Yeah. You're, yes. you're great at eye exams, Carolyn. I, I remember totally. that about you. Yeah. I don't even need to like dilate an eye. I can just see the fundus, you know? So oh, do that's you mind amazing. <laughs> It's a secret magic power that I have. Um, I should add that to my resume. Yeah. So, but can you walk us through kind of your approach to an eye physical exam and kind of assume that like our ophthalmoscoping clinic is broken? So what can we do with like the limited sure. tools that we have? Well, first what you do is you, you go to your technician and you ask them to do it. <laughs> and then, and then you just kind of hang out for a while. But if for some reason your technician is broken, <laughs> um, technician doesn't have any batteries. Then you go in there, you start with the vision. So you're checking each eye separately. All right. With their, with their correction on. So you want them wearing their glasses their contacts. Um, if vision isn't 2020, then you're, what we're doing is re we're using a pinhole occluder. So just a little tiny, usually like one and a half millimeter, you know, pinhole, see if the vision improves. If the vision improves, that tells you that's probably like a glasses issue. Chances are, if you're going to all the links that you're going through to do this, just, you know, uh, in-depth eye exam as a non-ophthalmologist, you're not worried about someone just needing new glasses. Um, so after you check the vision, you're checking pupils, you know, each one separately, and then you're checking for an afferent pupillary defect. Um, so seeing if the optic nerve could be affected. And then I, I can't stress this enough turn the lights off when you're checking for pupils. It's, it kills me when I see these medical shows and there's like these bright, you know, grocery store fluorescent lights on 
and they just take this little wimpy little flashlight, you know, and just check the check the pupils. Um, <laughs> you know, that's not that's not the way to do it. So get the lights off, check the pupils, and then um, and then you're checking motility, especially someone that has double vision. Um, you're checking confrontation, visual fields, and then we always check eye pressure. You know, I, I think that's something that anybody can really do with the tono pin. I don't know if you guys have ever used a tono pin. No, ever. I don't. No. I don't know that they're commonly stocked in a primary care clinic. I, Probably not. Yeah, but it not. wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> you don't have to be afraid to do eye stuff in any clinic. <laughs> I'm, I'm including kind of checking afraid. pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and then if, if after after checking the pressure, that's when you make the decision whether or not you need to dilate the patient. So that that's kind of in a nutshell. And all that honestly takes about two, two or three minutes. So the checking, the checking, the pressure. I I don't know that that people are doing that in the in the uh, internal medicine like primary care office because yeah. I just don't think the tone of pens no, are I available. I don't think they are. But yeah, as far yeah, as I, how, how do you link that to the need to dilate the eye or not? Is that because like you're looking for uh, glaucoma or? Well, it's not so much the the pressure that decides whether it's it's why the patient's there okay. uh, so you know if, if um, someone's in there f- comes in for um, an ocular surface problem you mm-hmm. know I think they have blepharitis dry eye something I know is just kind of the front surface of the eye I don't necessarily have to dilate them because mm-hmm. you know if their vision is good if I can explain the vision by what their problem is um, then there's really no need to, to dilate them okay. and make it a you know a 30 minute longer visit yeah, it's not it's not really the pressure. It's just you know what I think might be going on. Okay, right. If the vision is normal, then you know my worry meter goes way down. You know, for okay. for things with with red eyes. You know, so. and and I I want to get a little bit granular on the ocular exam stuff that you were just saying. So as far yeah. as like, let's say we don't have a Snellen eye chart. Do you have like an easy workaround for that? If or or let's say we don't have the twenty feet yeah. set up, like holding a book. Where are you at working, length, Matt? <laughs> well, you can. <laughs> well, you know, even even in, when I go to the emergency room, I have to hunt around for the yeah. the eye chart. So mm-hmm. you know, it's you know, there's there I'm, there's probably one somewhere in the clinic somewhere. Right. You just have to hunt. You have to, have to find it. But uh, um, in our clinic, we use a series of mirrors to get us that twenty feet in the yeah. exam room. When I'm check when you if you don't have a chart. Uh, really, you can just you know ask the patient, find out if they think their vision is normal. Mm-hmm. Like, what's what's going on here? Is it is it more blurry in one eye or the other? Uh, use any kind of reading material you have. You just just mm-hmm. pick something. Hopefully, they have if they're you know older than forty. Hopefully, they have reading glasses with them. Mm-hmm. You know, I would recommend just having a pair of reading glasses in your clinic. So, you know, going to the drugstore, getting a pair of reading glasses and just having them somewhere in those times, whenever you don't have any way to really test distance vision, you don't have you know a screen large enough uh, and you want to get a, just a basic sense of how good they're seeing, you can just, and they don't have reading glasses, you can just pop them on there, right. you know. And then you just have them read would, a couple sentences holding a, yeah, something at like yeah, reasonable just, distance. And, exactly. And if, if they're reading, you know, you know, pretty easily. Um, and then, you know, the, the things when, when you're really worried are, 
you know, if they can't see any, if they're just what we call, you know, hand motion vision or yeah. count fingers vision, where all they can do is count fingers or they can't even do that. You know, okay. that's, that's when, you know, oh man, something bad's happening here. We gotta, we gotta figure this out. Okay. So, um, okay. there are other, there's more vision besides just either being able to see the biggie or not the biggie. You know, there's like this yeah. whole gradation of, of vision that you can have from no light perception to count mountains, you know, so with any of these referrals, like our, at least my, this is, this is for me, my expectation is so low <laughs> for anybody outside of ophthalmology, you know, being able to diagnose some kind of eye thing. Cause I know what kind of train, what kind of education I got in med school about eyes and it's is awful, yeah. you know? And that's why I never, I'm never upset about getting a referral because, you know, you, you don't, you don't have the skills typically to be able to, you know, do things like fundus exams on a non-dilated right. eye. I hope all of our consultants are as friendly and as happy to receive <laughs> uh, our consults as you are. <laughs> I, I just, I just like, I just really like eyeballs and it's not a normal thing. Like, that, no, it's, it's definitely not normal. Liking, liking eyeball. That's not normal. So Dr. G, you were, you were mentioning that primary care doctors actually sometimes surprise you and diagnose things. So this, that's kind of the point of this talk is to try to go through some things. So one of the big ones is like someone comes to us with a red eye. That's like one of the main concerns in primary care. Can you kind of walk us through how you would break that down? Yeah. Um, so the first thing is again, doing an assessment of, you know, what are they, what's their main complaint that they're coming in for with the eyes, because that can really point you in the right direction. So, um, We'll just go through a couple of examples. Patient comes in with burning pain. My eyes just are constantly burning. They're irritated. Um, it's kind of it comes and goes. It's worse at night or it's worse in the morning. Like my, again, my worry meter is going way down because that is nine times out of 10, that's going to be blepharitis. Okay. If their vision is okay, then if they're like, oh, my vision is not really affected by this then I'm like, oh, well, this is, this is, this is not something that's going to be really concerning. Um, and so, you know, that's somebody that, you know, can next available ophthalmology appointment, you know, you can have them try some artificial tears, hot compresses, kind of these very easy generic things. Um, uh, and, you know, send them off to the eye doctor. Um, other complaints, Another big one is, uh, is itching. So itching is a big one. That is also 95% of the time going to be allergy. So you'll have someone with a history of allergy. Uh, they have, um, they're just constantly wanting to rub their eyes. That's a lot of time going to be al uh, allergic conjunctivitis. Again, not something that's really serious. Um, so burning, itching, it, it's whenever you start getting these symptoms that are associated with a decrease in vision that you have to be a little bit more vigilant and concerned. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my approach initially is, you know, a lot of times when I look at the chief complaint before I go into the room, I, I already have a sense of what the diagnosis is going to be because that really with eyes can tell you a lot.
And if it's a red eye with, with vision loss, then mm-hmm. w- where do you start to think there? Yeah. So if you think about it, you know, if, if the vision is down, that means something in their visual axis is affected. Okay. Certainly just dry eye issues, you know, can cause, you know, dryness to the cornea can disrupt the surface of the eye and cause a decrease in vision. And, um, uh, you know, that would be, again, those like burning sensation, uh, intermittent blurry vision. So that's, that's on the differential, but you also got to be thinking about other things that can affect the cornea. So corneal ulcer, contact lens wear. So I'm looking at the cornea really closely, Mm. making sure there's no sign of infection. Um, also, if their vision's down, they're having eye pain, they're sensitive to light, so photophobic, then I'm also thinking about intraocular inflammation, so uveitis, which is what we call uveitis, just basically inflammation inside the eye can be um, uh, you know, infectious or non-infectious. Uh, and so I, I'm just thinking in terms of what, what, what's causing that, that vision to be down. You gotta that, and that's a big lesson that I learned as a resident. Like, okay, a patient comes in, they were twenty twenty, now they're twenty forty. You gotta explain that vision loss. You gotta figure that out. And so, um, going starting front to back, just looking at all the ocular structures with the patient with the red eye. You know, I know that angle closure glaucoma is one of the thing that's that's on the differential there. Are there are there a couple other like big ones that we don't want to miss in primary care that we should definitely refer like much more quickly? So angle closure, it's going to be hard to miss angle closure. Okay. You guys are pretty good about recognizing that. That's like one of the three things you do learn in, uh-huh. in med school about about eyes is uh, how to recognize angle closure. So that's good. Can you give us a, a brief review on how of to what, recognize yeah, it? What yeah, are the key sure. features? Yeah. So the patient's going to be. Um, their complaint is going to be intense stabbing eye pain. It's always going to be on one side. Bilateral angle closure is unbelievably rare. Uh, and so one eye is going to be involved. Their vision is going to be down. Uh, they're going to be potentially nauseous and vomiting. Um, one, one sign is, well, if they're Asian descent, so, you know, uh, Asian populations, they tend to see more um, more angle closure. Uh, and so they just tend to have more hyperopia, so they're more farsighted. So that's another uh, another sign that you can look for is you find out if they're wearing glasses, you look at their glasses, and if they're basically like big magnifying glasses, yeah, then you know they're farsighted. Their eye is smaller, and so it's more there's just not enough room inside the eye for the drainage system to work and sometimes it can close off and that's when you get a buildup of pressure okay and so so yeah highly farsighted people much higher risk for angle closure but other things yeah things that would just walk into your primary care clinic um uveitis is one thing so herpetic disease Mm -hmm. lots of people get herpes yeah. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> I've been it's, told it's, that. <laughs> yeah. Real common, real common. <laughs> and so, you know, photophobia is something to be concerned about. New onset photophobia. Okay. Yeah. With, with decrease in vision. 
So we talked a lot more about the differential. Do you mind kind of walking us through how you would treat sort of like the viral versus allergic versus bacterial conjunctivitis? So that is something I think yeah. primary care physicians should right. do a lot of stand for. No, that's 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 a really that's a really important topic because that's going to be um, probably one of the biggest things that you see. So first of all, let's start with bacterial conjunctivitis. This is very rare. Uh, you know, and whenever you see it, you, it's really hard to miss. So if you if you go and you look at a patient's eyes, and you, it makes you want to put a biohazard suit on, <laughs> you know, there's a there's a possibility that they have bacterial conjunctivitis. Um, so their eyelashes are going to be kind of matted with purulent, you know, yellowish, you know, greenish discharge. Their eyelids are going to be really edematous and red and inflamed. Um, you're going to see this primarily in kids. You know, it's more. It seems to be more common in kids uh, or hosp- uh, adults that are that have been in the hospital or um, nursing homes. You know, kind of more dirty environments. Um, you're going to see uh, uh, a little bit higher chance of bacterial conjunctivitis. Um, and we'll talk in a second about how to treat it. But with viral, so viral is uh not as in your face you know it's so, so to speak you're gonna have like a mucoid kind of whitish discharge it's gonna be much thinner the eyes are gonna be a little red uh, they might have a recent viral illness so they've been coughing runny nose um it's just but it's just not that impressive the vast majority of the time um so the patient may come to you with a complaint of red eyes and kind of irritation a little bit of pain and you look at him, you're like, oh yeah, I guess it's it's kind of red. You know, that's probably it's either going to be viral conjunctivitis or it's going to be nothing, blepharitis or something. So you think about like sick contacts, you know, recent recent uh, exposures um, to other people with colds. The only the the two caveats with viral that you have to think about is the first one is adenovirus. So adenovirus can cause big problems. Um, it can make the eyes look just beat, beat red. Um, and when people say adenovirus or when people say pink eye, then that's, that's really what pink eye refers to in my mind, at least is, is adenovirus because it's, it's incredibly infectious, incredibly infectious. And so, um, I, I learned early on, you never, you never say pink eye to a patient as, as like, a, especially a, a mom who's brought their kid in who yeah. doesn't, the, yeah. you know, everything's going to, is kind of okay. But the minute you say, Oh, this could be pink eye, you know, sirens go off. Um, and, uh, that's all the patient can think about. So adenovirus, um, uh, really deeply red, uh, you know, the, a lot of times the cornea is not affected, so they may still, they usually still have normal vision, at least right away. You'll feel lymph nodes, so you feel for preregular lymph nodes. The other viral uh, conjunctivitis you got to think about is herpes. We kind of touched on that. So history of cold sores on the lips or mouth. Not, they don't look quite as impressive as, um, as adenovirus. You can get an adenovirus conjun- or a, a, a herpes conjunctivitis, but typically you get more cornea problems with with a herpetic infection. Yeah, just, I just wanted to break in about this. So, you know, daycares have this rule like you have to be on treatment for twenty four hours. So, like, even though 
it's probably clearly not a bacterial infection. Everyone gets drops, even if it's viral, and then they're on drops yeah. for 24 hours, and then they can come back to daycare and spread around their <laughs> viral their viral conjunctivitis. It, it, I don't know. Dr. Glockenflecken, yeah. um, does that make sense to you? Or I mean, you know, we see that all the time. Pretty much, you know, erythromycin just flows like water. <laughs> yes. Um, that's, that's like the go-to. You know, it's really not doing anything. You know, it's, it's peace of mind kind of thing. And, and it's a little bit different than systemic antibiotics. You know, you're not, obviously the concern for antibiotic resistance is, is still, you know, you want appropriate use of antibiotics. Um, and sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to examine kids. Uh, you know, so sometimes it's really hard to get close to their eyes to really get a good sense of, okay, is this bacterial? Could this be bacterial? Could this be viral? I, I try not to fault anybody for like just deciding, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to start them on erythromycin. But the whole, you know, when to go back to school issue, to be completely sure that you're going to clear the virus, it's, you really got to probably be out of school for like, you know, three to five days. Wow. So, I mean, it's, but the caveat being, I think a lot of what's called conjunctivitis really isn't an infectious process. Mm -hmm. You know, kids can get blepharitis too. You know, kids can get stuff in their eyes. They can rub their eyes. They can, Mm. there's so many, there's lots of things that can Mm -hmm. give a red eye to a kid. And so true, but true viral conjunctivitis, um, you know, 24 hours, eh, that's, that's probably not, that's probably not enough. Even after getting a, you know, and a, uh, erythromycin, which they probably didn't need in the first place. Erythromycin is the ointment that that's usually given, right? For kids anyway, because, okay. And the reason it's so good. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it it shouldn't flow like water. It's probably, it's probably expired if it's, if it's water. Um, the reason it's so good for kids is because it's thick, it's ointment, you know, so, so it stays on the eye because kids are going to, you know, go crazy whenever you try to put anything in their eyes. Mm -hmm. So you want something thicker that's going to stick around. They're not going to just cry it out. We didn't, we haven't really touched on, on drops, like different medications. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, one thing that I just want everyone to stop using is sulfacetamide. Sulfacetamide. I don't know where people are getting these drops, but it's it's just it doesn't do anything. It's not it's not there's so many better options than like just a your basic sulfa drop. And so real quick, just some 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 good medications and I don't have any financial interest in any medication. Any and, drop. I don't even know how to get a financial interest in a medication. And if you could use generic names, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, you know, our sponsors like us to uh, only use generic names. So, if patient comes in with a corneal abrasion, you know, they need to be put on an antibiotic, like to prevent what you're basically doing is just preventing um, an infection from setting in. And so, um, my go-to. Uh, for that would be, it's a combination drop, polymyxin B, sulfamethoxazole. Okay. Uh, so it is a sulfa, but it's got, it's also got a bactericidal um, component to it, which is the polymyxin B. It's pretty much dirt cheap. And so it's really effective. It's, it's broad spectrum. So it's great for preventing, you know, a, a bacterial infection on top of a corneal abrasion. 
Um, it's also a good option for small, uh, you know, uh, localized corneal ulcers, like contact lens related ulcers. So if you're going to start a patient, this happens a lot. Patients will come into me with a corneal ulcer from a contact lens or whatever, and they'll already be on a drop. So polytrim is a good one you can do. If it's a really minor, small little infection, ofloxacin is a um, is one that I will use frequently. Uh, it's a second generation fluoroquinolone for your bigger, nastier looking infections. Then um, that's a little bit more broad spectrum. I'll go with uh, moxifloxacin or gadifloxacin. Okay, moxifloxacin is is in general easier to find. I've found, uh, and that's a great. That's like our. We use it at the end of most of our um, cataract surgeries. You know, it's it's a fantastic antibiotic that's broad spectrum and gets rid of nasty pseudomonas ulcers for the most part which is the big thing we get concerned with contact lens related infections. So in adults, those are the three antibiotics that I use most frequently. Okay. Um, we talked about erythromycin. So great for kids, uh, because it's an ointment. It's also useful for blepharitis, uh, cause it helps decrease the inflammation in the eyelids. And so I'll give it to patients, uh, to adults to use it at bedtime, like right before bed. So you get that patient that's coming in, dry eyes, burning, kind of irritated. Everything else looks fine. You think they probably have just run-of-the-mill dry eye blepharitis. You can give them some erythromycin to just put in at night and just, uh, you know, helps lubricate the eye overnight. You know, a lot of your patients probably have uh, sleep apnea. And so they're, you know, wearing CPAP, it's blowing in their face, drying out their eyes, right? Uh, give them some erythromycin ointment to use at bedtime. Works great. So those are, that's my spiel on antibiotics. Um, I don't really think there's any other, I'm trying to think, I can think of any other ones that I kind of will frequently use. Yeah. What about olopatadine for allergic or vernal conditions? Yeah. I do. Li- I love olopatadine. That's good. Um, that's my that's my favorite um, prescription allergy drop. Excellent. For sure. Yeah. Uh, ketotifen is a good over the counter allergy drop. So that's uh, that's also really effective. Olopatadine yes. is just a little bit better. What What about? The over-the-counter redness drops, can you overdo it with those? Can patients overdo it with those? I mean, have I told you yet that if I could just blast all the Visine in the world <laughs> off into the sun and get rid of it, I would. Um, so, yes, you can overdo it with, with redness relievers. Okay. Just There's just no, no reason unless you're, you know – smoking weed and trying to hide it from your parents. Like I can't think of any other uh, reason for a redness reliever. Um, I believe that's a uh, pretty big market though. Not that listens to this show, but just like in general out there in the world. Right. Right. The reason that's so bad and you can tell this to your patients that, you know, it's, it's a vasoconstrictor primarily, but there's a reason that your eyes are red. And so, sure, it's going to 
get rid of the red and it's going to vasoconstrict everything, but then it's just going to come roaring back and it's just, it's going to be, be worse and it's not going to actually solve anything. So anyway, that's why the redness reliever really isn't helpful. But artificial tears, can we go to town on those things? Go to town, man. Just, just crush them. <laughs> okay. You know, use them by the gallon <laughs> full. No, that's fine. I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, use, overuse those, you know, the artificial tears are, are, are great. I give them out all the time. Yeah. Any other favorite eye medications? Well, no, just in general, stay away from steroids on the eyes. Right. Unless, unless they've seen an ophthalmologist. Okay. So if you think they need a steroid for whatever reason, just let us handle the steroids. Okay. Yeah. That's it. In general, I don't, I don't, I don't notice a problem with that for the most part. It's just something to, to keep in mind. We actually have a question from Twitter earlier today um, from one of uh, our our followers. So mm-hmm. the question asks, well, it's a little bit of an unusual question, so I haven't heard it. So I'm interested to hear your perspective. So it says, I've heard it before that breast milk can be a great substitute for <laughs> antibiotic drops when it comes to babies with pink eye. Is this EBM or antidote? Think of, oh, dear. Like, thinking of the all natural patients. So... It yeah. brought to our attention that this yeah. is a viewpoint. So I was wondering how would you address Yeah. Well, I gotta say, um, out of all the bodily fluids I've I've heard of people putting in their eyes recently, <laughs> this is probably the least offensive one. Uh, I honestly can't can't speak to the benefits of of uh, breast milk in the eyes. Um, I don't know what's in breast milk. You guys know. <laughs> <laughs> well if the mom's on antibiotics there might be some antibiotics I mean, in there yeah <laughs> there you, you know there you go I, you know i don't certainly don't know of any um of any evidence to support that yeah so that, that, i don't know i, I just That's figured a good it, i had to ask so yeah very <laughs> i'd say i'd say if you're yeah. if you're thinking about if you're thinking about putting breast milk in your child's <laughs> eyes, then yeah, it might it might be a decent idea to maybe I don't know, go you could go see an eye doctor, um, any doctor really. Oh, yeah. that's my go. That's my yeah. that's my opinion. Back, so. Yeah. So what it. is what is the correct way to use an eye drop bottle? So this was yeah, this is a uh, <laughs> I, I posted about this on on Twitter a while back. Um, certainly you can do the traditional squeeze from the middle. Um, but I, I, what I, I posted was a video of me, this is something I learned in residency of just pushing the bottom of the bottle. That's actually how a lot of the bottles are made. They're made to actually be pushed from the bottom and it pushes a drop out. And the, the advantage of that is it has more of a controlled release. So if you squeeze from the side, you're more likely to waste some of the drops. If you push from the bottom, you're really only going to get one drop out. So that's the advantage of that. And uh, it's also sometimes easier for people with arthritis who can't really squeeze. They just kind of, all you got to do is kind of mash on the bottom of the bottle and, it, and it'll come out. That that blew my mind when I uh, <laughs> when I heard that. It's kind of like the TED talk on yeah. the tire shoes. I was just kind of just, I was bored at clinic. I was, had, a, had some downtime in clinic and I just... It's like, all right, maybe people don't know this. I don't know. <laughs> so I just threw this video up there and then it, it just, people went nuts over it. Again, I, I never, I, I need to stop underestimating 
the lack of general knowledge there is out there about eyeballs and yeah. all things related to eyeballs. Yeah. What what is by chance? What is your favorite opto abbreviation? All right. This is gonna be this is gonna be a tough one. This is. Uh, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna give you a, a one liner here, and I want you to tell me anything you can about. Uh oh. Oh no. You freeze up. That was. That was the absolute Broken. worst time for him to freeze. Great for building up suspense, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll get Little do we know, he's not actually frozen. He's just holding us hook, line, and sinker. Sorry, guys. That's all right. You you had us hanging there. I know. Abbreviation. Dr. Glockenflecken, we were, we were so worried that you were not coming back, but we're glad you're back. <laughs> I just uh, now that I have the hang of saying the name, I just I just like uh, like saying the name. I say it all the time, right? Yeah. Did we ask you yet what it actually means? I don't I don't think. Yeah, we uh, did. We did. You just no. Wait, audience, we didn't ask him on air. I don't think the audience knows what your name means. No. Yeah. Um. So it's it's really exciting. So just get ready. Are you ready for this? I'm I'm ready. Okay. Should I so, bear down? Uh, <laughs> just I want to make sure you're all seated. <laughs> okay. First. So, first, when you have an episode of angle closure glaucoma, uh, this is already getting exciting. I can tell by your faces. (laughs) Um, When you have an angle closure glaucoma, you uh, you get denatured epithelial cells in the lens that clump together. Are you with me? Yeah, yeah. Still following. Yeah. So, they they clump together, and you get these little deposits on the surface of the lens. that are called glockenflecken. That's amazing. And I have zero real like you know vested interest in glaucoma, but I really like that word. It's like by far my favorite word in ophthalmology. It's just ridiculous. Glockenflecken. There are a lot of ridiculous words in ophthalmology. So we have one from Trey Partridge. So he's asking, uh, what about the sudden onset of floaters? Does this warrant an urgent opto referral or not? Mm, Good question. That's another big one. Um, So floaters, very common. I'd say sudden onset of floaters. The biggest thing we get concerned about is a a tear in the retina, okay? Uh, which could lead to a retinal detachment, which is a big deal that requires surgery. So I'd say they should probably see someone that's like a, you know, within 48 hour type of thing. Yeah. So, you know, and the thing with, with timing of referrals to ophthalmology, in my opinion, and this is how it is with my practice, it may not be with other practices, but in general, if you're in a, if you're in an area that is well represented, with ophthalmologists, uh, there's really no reason why you shouldn't be able to get someone in within a few days. So if you get if you get pushback from from a bunch of ophthalmologists, they're like, "Oh, we can't get them in that quickly." I mean, that's just bad business. If you're running a private practice, right? You want to be able to get patients in relatively quickly. Because I feel like there's this kind of conception that it's hard to get in to see an ophthalmologist, and that's you know, it's not always true. But with with floaters, going back to the question, yeah, I'd say within a couple of days. You know, we what you don't want is for there to be a tear that progresses to a detachment. Yeah, which can happen pretty quickly. So from at Feministio, I'd love to hear about diabetic eye exams and treatments for retinopathy. Are there any advances in the works? 
the biggest advance in the past, you know, 10 years has been, uh, intravitreal injections. So that's just totally revolutionized, uh, treatment for both macular degeneration and diabetic retinopathy. The mainstay is laser treatment for like proliferative retinopathy. And, um, and it used to be laser for, for macular edema as well. But I mean, that gets a little dicey at times when you're using a laser near someone's phobia. You know, it's in fact, when, when I went through training, you know, I did maybe one focal laser. That's what we call it. Or we're lasering someone's macula real close to, you know, taking out their central vision. Uh, and so, you know, I really didn't get trained doing that. You know, most retina specialists, which I'm not a retina specialist, most of them are, they can do that kind of treatment. But now it's, you know, it's injections. That's the biggest thing. And to be honest, I'm not sure what else new is coming um, in addition to that, you know, they're always, uh, you know, trying to come up with new anti-VEGF medications, which is what the injectables are. So diabetics who state that their eyes get blurry when their blood sugar is high, how high do you feel the serum glucose has to be for them to start kind of having these symptoms where you can actually like attribute it, you know, to the, to the high hyperglycemia versus, oh shoot, something else is going on because you're yeah. having new onset blurry vision. I'd say that if if I get a, a poorly controlled diabetic in clinic and I can't really figure out anything else wrong with them or why they'd have blurry vision, I'll usually, you know, blame it on the blood sugar. Um, I don't know if there's a really good number, but, you know, what I typically see is you know, people that have had blood sugars in like, uh, you know, 500, 600, you know, even maybe a little bit lower, like three or 400. Um, you can very easily see changes in the refraction, which is what it, is what you're getting. Which is why the vision is blurry. Is the 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 um, the lens is swelling and changing shape and causing a different focal point for the eye, and so you get a a change in refraction, which is why we never like to give a, a diabetic who's poorly controlled a new pair of glasses until we know that they're you know. That's not an issue because then they come back and they're not happy. And so, um, but I'd say it has to be a good amount, you know, over like 200 to really start getting that effect. But I'm, I don't, I don't have any good evidence behind that. It's just kind of a, you know, gestalt type of thing. Uh, one final question. So have you submitted a petition to officially change ophthalmologist to eye dentist? <laughs> <laughs> oh man i i feel like i've created a monster with this whole <laughs> eye dentistry thing um so it's so funny because when i i've you know that's term i didn't make that term up like that's uh, i think i was the first person that used it where like a lot of people had never heard it before um but uh whenever i i've used it a couple times on twitter and i get like angry messages from both dentists and ophthalmologists. <laughs> so, you know, they, you did the right thing. No one, no one can figure out, you know, who, who is, is that's insulting to more either dentists or probably just both. Um, and so, yeah, I, I tried to do this whole, you know, thread where I, you know, trying to encourage people to use the term responsibly <laughs> which is ridiculous like that i'm even talking about this <laughs> um 
And so I've actually stopped using that on social media um, out of respect to the ophthalmologists who, uh, who don't seem to like it. I personally don't have any problem with the term. I think it's hilarious and it makes perfect sense. Uh, it's a great, it's a great term, uh, but it is used a lot now in like the med Twitter, you know, uh, community. <laughs> and so, um, I will not be trying to change ophthalmologists to eye dentists or eye dentistry. Although I do like the, the term, um, but unfortunately, I don't think it's going to catch on. <laughs> well, we can only hope, sir, because I, <laughs> I really like the term too. Yeah, it's very descriptive, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. It, it really – I had never heard it, but it's one of those things like the first time I heard it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I get that. That's that's. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, Ophthalmologists are there. We're kind of just removed from the rest of medicine a little bit, right? And that's that's really kind of the – the main message there is, well, we're kind of like dentists and that we're not really part of like the rest of the medical community, you know, um, really we probably should have our own schools to be honest. No, I, I take that back. We, that's, you know, that would probably be a bad idea. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I don't know. I, I get, People being up, you know, upset about it, but yeah, whatever, get over it. <laughs> I guess at this point, we should ask about any take-home points you have for the audience. One point would be, you know, don't hesitate to send a patient or call an ophthalmologist about a patient, you know, who's having eye eye problems because. I've certainly seen people that, you know, they, they, they tried to kind of just watch a patient for a while and, you know, things can very quickly go south. Uh, again, we have very low expectations in terms of other people managing eye problems. And so in a lot of ways, I consider myself primary care. Okay. Not you know, not like a cardiologist where, you know, a lot of people have a lot more extensive kind of baseline training in heart disease. Okay. No one has that mm-hmm. with ophthalmology. You guys don't have that like basic, um, you know, understanding of a lot of kind of the, you know, more complex eye problems. And so just call us, send, send the patient to us and we'll, we'll figure it out. So the last thing, did you, did you want to plug your charity? Yeah, as I've, as I've talked about on Twitter, I am a, a cancer survivor. Yeah, I got testicular cancer in my mid-20s uh, a couple times uh, and I've gone through treatment. And during the second time um, I got cancer, I found a charity called First Descents. Uh, they are um, provide outdoor week-long outdoor adventures for young people um, with uh, who have been affected by cancer, uh, and so and it's really a fantastic organization. And so what I've started doing is trying to fundraise for them. Um, I've been doing some stand-up comedy, uh, usually for medical audiences. That's uh, um, as you can tell, I do like tend to like to tell jokes uh, 
you know, about medicine. If you've noticed, I've noticed from my Twitter handle. <laughs> yep, that's kind of a thing for me. So anyway, I've I've been doing that for some uh, medical audiences, and uh, you know, not all the money that you know I would get for that would go to um, go to First Descents. And so, uh, check them out. Recommend recommend them to to your patients. You know, on my Twitter um, profile, I have a link uh, that talks about First Descents, and you can they have a Twitter page. Uh, that you can um, look at and learn more. And uh, we're going to, we'll put that, we'll put that at the top of the show as well. So this won't be the first time people are hearing this and uh, we can link it in the show notes. So we'll, we'll definitely ask the audience to check out first descents. Sweet. Thanks. Thanks guys. Okay. So that's it. That's the show. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom, Dr. Glockenflecken and I'm just trying right. to show off now that I know how to say the name, which feels great. Uh, Stuart? You should work that in. Anytime you're, you're interacting with an ophthalmologist, try, try to work that work that in. And that and now we know what it means, too. <laughs> That's exactly right. You probably don't even remember. <laughs> sure, it's the crud it's about the, denatured uh, epithelial cells yeah. the lens or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah, it's so when you call up the ophthalm, you're worried. You're like, I have a patient with welcome flex. <laughs> <laughs> Just once, I want to get referred a patient for Glockenflecken. That would be fantastic. This has been another episode of The Curbsiders. It sure has. Bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole. You Yummy. Can, you can find show notes along with links to any articles, books, websites, or apps mentioned on the show at thecurbsiders.com forward slash podcast. And sign up to receive our weekly mailing list where you'll get a PDF copy of the show notes at thecurbsiders.com forward slash knowledge food. Send an email to thecurbsiders at gmail.com if you want to recommend a future topic or tell us what you love or hate about the show. We have pages on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at The Curbsiders. Until next time, I've been Dr. Matthew Frank Watto at Dr. Watto on Twitter. I'm Carolyn Shan out of Cleveland, Ohio. I'm Nora Toronto out of the University of Chicago. And I'm doc- Dr. Stuart Kent Brigham at Brigham SK on Twitter. And good night without Paul. Silence for Paul. <laughs>